Surprising 2-0 teams, even more surprising 0-2 teams. NFL Week 2 wraps up tonight with not one but two Monday night games and a couple of more teams looking for 2-0 starts. We're now two weeks to the end of baseball's regular season. The Orioles bounce back with two big wins versus Tampa. How the AL West will shake down. What will happen in the NL wildcard and the end of Shohei Otani in Anaheim. Deion Sanders and his Colorado Buffaloes team barely ekes out a win, but will have a key player out with two huge games in the conference forthcoming. And Alabama is out of the top 10. Columbus Blue Jackets coach Mike Babcock doesn't even get out of the first week of training camp before having to step down as coach. The reason is one you won't believe and one you won't want to miss as we officially say goodbye to summer and autumn is on its way with another rapid-fire, fast-paced podcast. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there. Whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. Ain't nobody on the road. Ain't nobody on the beach. I feel it in the air. The summer's out of reach. I know I'm going to keep my day job talking sports, doing what I do best. But those were the opening lyrics of Don Henley's classic, The Boys of Summer, as the feel of fall has actually hit the Northeast earlier than I expected, although yesterday felt a little bit more summer-like. But the nights are getting chillier. The morning's even cooler than that. And... What more can we expect as we close out summer and fall is still five days away, if you can believe that. But before we get even any deeper, what to expect here over the next hour on the podcast? Oh, you know it's going to be nothing short of entertaining, informative, credible, and coming at you fast and furious as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. We're just about two weeks into this NFL season. You have two games tonight, which I'll get to later on. I can't stand the doubleheader Monday night for the life of me. I get it. It's more of the money grab. It's more of the NFL being the pigs and hogs that they are when it comes to having these networks broadcast their games. But we'll touch on that later. And those games are significant because the theme to start us off here are the surprising 2-0 teams 
and the surprising 0-2 teams. And I get it, it's only two weeks, we can't get too crazy, a lot could happen throughout the course of the season. Just ask the Cincinnati Bengals last year, when they were 0-2 in the same spot, and they were just minutes away from going back to another Super Bowl, well this year looks like it's going to be a much different road, and I'll get to them in a minute. But for the surprising 2-0 teams, whether that is the Washington Commanders, and they got the break of all time there at the end, which I'll discuss in a matter of moments, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who would have thought that Baker Mayfield would be a little bit of a resurgence there down in Tampa, considering the last three years with Tom Brady and not knowing where the direction of this team or this even franchise was going to go after the three-year euphoric state of the Bucs with TB12, winning a Super Bowl in that first year, and then yes, making the playoffs the last two, but fizzling out to the point where you didn't know what this Buccaneer team was going to be. Arguably could have been the worst in the division, but they're off to a 2-0 start. And even give it up to the Dolphins. Two games on the road, a thriller in LA against the Chargers, and then last night, I don't want to see New England in primetime anymore. I've had it. I get it. It's Belichick. It's still New England, but it is far from the team that we've seen over the last two plus decades, especially with Brady out. Mac Jones, no offense to him, but the appeal of New England is certainly out the window. So I've had enough of New England here these first two weeks. They had the 425 slot there last week against the Eagles, which turned out to be an entertaining game, especially in the second half. But yesterday, there was no way that the Dolphins were going to lose that game. They were in control. Mind you that the Patriots did make it interesting there in the latter part of the game. But we just knew that the Dolphins, two games on the road, and now they go home for the first time this year. 2-0, and you have to say it's a little bit of a surprise, considering that although they've had success in New England over the years, but coming off of a big win last week in LA, there could have been a little bit of a letdown. That wasn't the case. And your surprising 2-0 teams, to me, off the bat, are right there. As far as the flip side of that, you have the Bengals 0-2 and two division losses. That's something you have to keep in mind here because division losses are huge, especially when it comes to tiebreaker. And they've already lost to the Ravens, who we would think would be their biggest competition in the division. I'm sure the Browns will have something else to say about that, especially if they win tonight in Pittsburgh. But for the Bengals to start off the way they have, Definitely not the recipe that they were looking forward to this year, considering what I just talked about last year, losing the opener against the Steelers and then going to Dallas to lose to the Cowboys before turning their season around. Can they do it again? We'll have to wait and see. The Chargers, I'll get to them more so, as well as the Broncos, because those two teams that a lot of people thought that would make some hay in the AFC West, especially the Chargers, knowing that the quarterback with another year under his belt And having the weapons that they have on offense, the Austin Eckles of the world, who didn't play, I believe, in the game yesterday, the Keenan Allens, etc. But here are the Chargers 0-2, as well as the Broncos, and I will highlight those two teams in a moment. But let's get right to it, the winners and losers of week number two. I'm going to start off with the Atlanta Falcons. That's another surprising 2-0 team to stick with that theme. I picked the Falcons as an under this year. They were what? Eight and a half, and I thought with Desmond Ritter at your quarterback, and I understand they have a very good ground game, and their defense, they do have some players there, but I just thought it was going to be too much for them to handle them early on, and granted that they got the first two games in their building, beating Carolina last week, and then coming from behind in the fourth quarter, down 24-12, where Desmond Ritter did just enough, and the Falcon defense stood up to the Packer offense to where they got a bunch of three and outs there in the fourth quarter and they were able to chip away with a couple of field goals 
and win the game in their building 25-24 to get themselves off to a 2-0 start in the NFC South to go along with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And who knows what's going to happen tonight when you have Saints and Panthers. Now the game is in Carolina, but if the Saints win, there'll be another surprising 2-0 team. And I get it that people maybe would think that the Saints are the best team in the division considering they have the best quarterback in Derek Carr. I understand not much to really talk about there when it comes to Desmond Ritter, even the youngster like a Bryce Young who the Saints will go up against tonight. And then you have Baker Mayfield, the former number one overall, who is having a bit of a renaissance, as I mentioned. But you have the Falcons getting off to a 2-0 start and a bit of a surprise, but a big comeback win against the Packers, who we saw there on opening day just thrash the Bears in Chicago. So for the Packers to go back-to-back on the road to start their year, they weren't able to come up 2-0, just like I mentioned with the Dolphins earlier on. My second winner are the Seattle Seahawks. After that stinker that they put forth at home against the Rams, what a big-time performance there in Detroit, a team that had a lot of gas in their tank considering that they beat the Chiefs there 11 days ago on Thursday night. And for them to have a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter to then spit it up and then to have to go into overtime and win it there with Geno Smith, who was 32 for 41, threw for 328 yards and two touchdowns to show that his season last year was far from a fluke. And for the Seahawks, who needed that win in the worst way, again, after that just putrid performance against the Rams there, but for the Seahawks to then rally the troops to stick together, even after that 31-21 lead, and for the Lions to come roaring back with that last-second field goal as time expired in regulation, but for them to control the ball, nine plays, 75 yards, to cap it off with Tyler Lockett, six-yard touchdown, the Seahawks give it up as they had a big win there in the Motor City. And then the last one has to be the New York Giants. They were down 28-7, and they lost Saquon Barkley to an ankle injury. MRI today, let's see what happens, as they're going to stay out in Arizona before traveling to San Francisco as they're your Thursday night game. As the Niners open their season at home after two road wins in Pittsburgh and then at LA yesterday. The Rams, that is. So for the Giants to claw their way back, down 21 points after that just god-awful performance there last Sunday night against the Cowboys. Give it up. Daniel Jones, 321 yards passing. They were able to eke out a win against a lowly Cardinals team. But you know what? You do not throw wins back in the NFL as I've stated time after time. And for them to at least get in the win column. And I picked them, although I didn't say this on the podcast, but yesterday afternoon before the 4 o'clock games, I picked the Giants as my knockout pool pick for Week 2. And boy, did I have to dodge a missile there because as I was looking at that score, knowing that they were down 28-7, I said, the Giants, they're going to have a lost season. Brian Dayball, who was the toast of the town, coach of the year, wins a playoff game in Minnesota and before losing to Philadelphia. And not to say that that was anything to hang your head about, but boy, that would have been a rough start to their year to be 0-2, to not only get destroyed by Dallas, but also to lose to the arguably the worst team in the sport. And they were able to come out victorious, but now we have to wait and see what's going to happen with Saquon Barkley because that ankle injury could go a long way as to how the Giant offense especially, but also the Giant season may go. As far as my losers of the week, I got to start off with the Denver Broncos. They were up 21-3 to the Washington Commanders before they came roaring all the way back to take an 11-point lead. And then in the game's final play, 
They had a Hail Mary where Russell Wilson throws a pass into the end zone and gets tipped about a thousand times. And who would have thought it ends up in the hands of wide receiver Brandon Johnson to the point where the Broncos had a chance to tie the game with a two-point conversion. And I will say this, they got jobbed as there should have been a flag thrown and the ball would have been spotted at the one-yard line to where Russell Wilson doesn't really roll out but finds a receiver there in the end zone going toward the sideline. And what happens? The receiver, I believe it was Cortland Sutton, he gets pulled on the back of the left arm where it certainly had a chance for him to at least catch the ball, but there was no way, shape, or form because of the interference there and no flag thrown, just a terrible call. And people could say, well, the refs aren't going to blow the whistle unless it's absolutely 100% obvious. And based on what I saw, that was obvious. So, yes, I know a tough break for the Broncos, but considering they had two games in their building, they lost to Las Vegas last week, and then yesterday with a big lead at home, spit it up, had a chance to tie, and did not get a break. But for everything that's been discussed this offseason, whether it's Russell Wilson trying to come back off of that just disgusting year last year, and Sean Payton back into the coaching ranks thinking that he could just turn things around, well, guess what? They're now 0-2 and in a division where it's going to be competitive. You would think it's going to be Kansas City flying high, the Raiders, who knows. But now, to segue to the next team, who had a lot of expectations going into this year, that being the LA Chargers. And for this team, that week after week, they always find new ways and invent ways to lose. And here it was yesterday in Tennessee to where they got a last-second field goal as time expired to go into overtime. And maybe, just maybe, you thought that there would have been a possibility that if the Chargers do get the ball, that they may get out of Tennessee with a win, even their record at 1-1, one and one, and then let's see how the rest of these weeks will unfold. But as it was, Tennessee gets the ball. They march on down the field. Ryan Tannehill had a decent game. But for Nick Folk, who seems to be ageless at this point, the former jet kicker and many years in New England, gets the game winner for the Titans as the Chargers. One more time, find another way to lose just a tough, gut-wrenching loss. And what more can you say about this Charger team? I think Brandon Staley is going to be out on the rail if this team doesn't turn it around. And the Chargers, again, just tough luck, dumb luck, bad luck, whatever it is, it's certainly not good there for a Charger team that has a lot of potential on offense and a big-time quarterback. The defense, they have some names there too, the Derwin Jameses of the world, the Khalil Max, but they don't seem to be cutting the mustard. Joey Bosa, can't forget about him, although he always seems to be injured, as we know. But the Chargers, they're going to lose the number two this week. And when we take a look at the rest of the slate here for... A week number two, Thursday night, the Eagles, I get it that they don't seem to be their dominant selves as they were last year, and nobody expected a carbon copy of what the Eagles did in 2022 to happen here this year, but you know what, again, it wasn't pretty, no style points, but they had a considerable lead, I understand that the Justin Jefferson, the fumble in the end zone, which turned out to be a touchback, which is a terrible rule, the NFL really has to examine that a little bit deeper because there's no way that the defense should get the ball or the team that was defending should get the ball because it was smacked out and into the end zone to where it's going to be a touchback for the the defensive team. And as it was, the Vikings, who looked like they're going to have a long year, but the Eagles were able to 
still be 2-0 and still hold with the Cowboys and who would have thought the Washington Commanders as the teams that are at the top of the NFC East. So kudos to the Eagles as they continue to move on here. And I believe they play Tampa next Monday night in another doubleheader, which we'll get to more on Thursday as we recap these games here yesterday. The Raiders were looking to see if they could get off to a 2-0 start, which would have been huge for them. Not the case as Buffalo, without Josh Allen turning the ball over left and right, was able to just blitz through the Raider defense. 38-10 is your final. Nothing really to discuss there as the Bills get themselves back on track. Another game that, all right, we could talk about a little bit. Anthony Richardson, who had two touchdown runs but got concussed and was out of the game. But even with C.J. Stroud, this was a matchup between the two quarterbacks drafted number two and four overall, Stroud two and Richardson four. And we didn't get to see Richardson finish the game. We had Gardner Minshew come in. But Stroud, although he had a big game offensively, but a lot of that you could say was in garbage time or having to come from behind. He did throw for, what, 382 yards or 384, I should say. But it certainly wasn't enough as the Texans are now 0-2 and the Colts get their first win, even without Richardson. So we'll have to wait and see what his status is going to be moving forward. And that was a 31-20 win for the Colts. The Ravens win in Cincinnati, a place that they lost their season in the wild card last year, if you recall. But again, Tyler Huntley was your quarterback, not Lamar Jackson. Jackson did have a good game. And for the, I'll get to the Bengals in a second. As far as the Ravens go, Jackson did have a very good game, 237 yards passing. His completion percentage was very good as well as he was, what, I believe 24 for 33, if I'm not mistaken. But Jackson, who's going to be a big part of this offense as we know, but more so you would think with his arm as opposed to his legs. But for their offense, a lot of it seems to be early. Zay Flowers, we see Odo Beckham Jr. is more of a decoy as he only caught three passes in the game yesterday. And Mark Andrews is going to be his safety blanket as we know. But for the Ravens to get off to a 2-0 start after beating Houston last week and a division win on the road. And think about this. The Ravens have their division games on the road done by week five. In two weeks, they'll go to Cleveland. And then the following week, they go to Pittsburgh. So they'll have from week five on, their division games are done on the road. Where they'll have Cincinnati, Cleveland, and Pittsburgh all going to Baltimore in the division to end out their season. So that's a pretty good sign for the Ravens to get themselves not only 2-0. And we'll see what happens tonight with Cleveland and Pittsburgh. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But for the Ravens, good start for them. And for the Bengals, you could say, all right, well, we got them where we want them. We were 0-2 last year, and now we're 0-2 this year. But I think it's a little bit different. When you have two division losses already in your back pocket, and knowing that tiebreakers down the road, whether we would think against Baltimore or maybe even against Cleveland, those are going to be killer. So they're going to have to sweep the rest of this division from here on out if they have any chance of winning this division, I think. So the Bengals, I think they'll make the playoffs when it's all said and done. And I understand it's way too early to handicap this. But this is certainly not a start that they've ever imagined. Knowing that this time last year, they were in that same hole. And we could talk about the percentages. 11% of the teams who start off 0-2 do not make it into the playoffs. So I should say 11% do make it into the postseason starting off 0-2. And the Bengals could say, hey, at least we're one of those 11%. But can they do it back-to-back years? We shall see. Another big game yesterday was Kansas City going to Jacksonville and everything that happened with the Chiefs there on opening night. 
No Travis Kelsey, who was back in the lineup and scored a touchdown yesterday. No Chris Jones on the opening night, but he did end his holdout signing a one-year contract. And even in the almost 100-degree heat down in North Florida, the Jaguars were unable to muster anything on offense. They weren't able to see if they could at least stay in the game with the Chiefs. Now, of course, it was a one-score game when it was all said and done, but the Chiefs pretty much were in control. And sad to say that Jacksonville, who really could have put, I'm not going to say a stranglehold on the AFC by any stretch, but really in their division, and even for the Chiefs, would have had them on their heels. But Patrick Mahomes, who threw for 300 yards, did have an interception, but threw two touchdowns. One of them, as I mentioned, to the aforementioned Travis Kelsey, who was back in the mix, which turned out to be, I think, the biggest score of the game because with Jacksonville, even though that's an eight-point deficit, touchdown, two-point conversion, understood. But like I said, the Jaguars weren't able to muster any offense, it seemed, throughout the course of the day and made that chief defense look stout. Because when it was all said and done, when you look at the offensive numbers, and yes, 271 yards does look respectable, but in the grand scheme of things, when you only throw for 197 net passing yards and really didn't muster anything on the ground, that's going to bode well for a chief team that almost had 400 yards on offense for the day. So Jacksonville takes a step back, to me in my eyes a little bit, although I think they'll be fine in that division, as we all know, the AFC South, even with Indianapolis and Tennessee winning yesterday. So that's something to keep in mind as the season moves along and the Chiefs right the ship to get themselves back to 500. Niners 2-0 on the road as they host the Giants, like I mentioned, beating the Rams. And the Rams certainly could have made a statement there yesterday. I know the big news was the wide receiver, Puka Nakua, if that's how you pronounce it, who had 15 catches, most for a rookie in a regular season game. And his career is off to a tremendous start. As he's, what, 25 receptions, 266 yards, but had a career day for him yesterday. But certainly wasn't enough as the Niners. We all know that once that offensive machine with all of their big-time performers, whether it's Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Brandon Nayuk, they are loaded offensively and they have a very good offensive line. If they're able to run the ball and, of course, punish the opposition at the line of scrimmage, It's going to be long afternoons and evenings for the opposing teams that are going to go up against the Niners. And for them to get off to a 2-0 start, no surprise there. And the Rams, we think, are going to have a long year. And even after that win in Seattle, certainly came back down to earth after that win. And although we're competitive, but the Niners are just going to be too much. And with the sea of red that was at SoFi yesterday, it might as well have been a home game for the Niners, as we know, because the Rams... I get it. You're going to have some fans there going back to the days of the Rams from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. But even after them coming back and winning a Super Bowl, we know that it's still not really a football town. It is just a place to be seen and to show up at the suites to be a celebrity and not really be a Ram fan, the die in the wool that used to play down in Anaheim about, what, 35, 40 minutes from where SoFi is in Inglewood. Then you have the Jets losing in Dallas. No surprise there after the Aaron Rodgers injury. And I know three interceptions there by Zach Wilson. Doesn't really tell the whole story, even though the Jets had an opportunity to take the lead. Sauce Gardner had a pick six in his hands, went right through. But the Jets were going to be no match for a Cowboy team that is off and flying. They've given up 10 points here in the first two games, both to New York teams, as they swept the Jets and Giants here to start off the year. But they have scored 70 points and given up 10 
And their defense is phenomenal, as we know. Dallas is looking ahead at a big year, and they go to Arizona this week. So you would think it's going to be another slaughterhouse, probably in the desert, where the Cowboys will more likely be 3-0. But who knows, maybe even with the Dallas faithful invading Glendale, maybe the Cardinals will have their Super Bowl here in Week 3, and maybe the upset cart could be forthcoming. But we'll have to wait and see this coming Sunday. But the Cowboys, again were at least steady, maybe not spectacular, but Prescott, who did have a good game there, throwing for 255 yards, had a couple of touchdowns, but the Jets, again, were going to be no match considering what happened there on Monday night, and then now to have to win a tough road game in Dallas against that defense was going to be too tall of an order for Gang Green. Then to round it out, the Buccaneers, who, like I mentioned at the top, 2-0, great start for them. Now, they beat up on the lowly Bears, so that's nothing to write home about. And also the Vikings last week, so you could say the dregs of the NFC North who combined are 0-4. But you know what? Again, no style points. Don't throw wins back. And for the Buccaneers, after two weeks, I'm sure they're riding high, feeling pretty good, and are in first place in the NFC South to go along with the Atlanta Falcons. And maybe to join them would be the Saints, as I mentioned earlier. But for Tampa who, let's see where they could go, and with that division, anything is possible, but a big win for them, and for the Bears, you have to wonder if that quarterback, who has ability and has talent, maybe it's the system, now remember, the coach is a defensive coordinator from the Indianapolis Colts, and a one Eberflus, so is he going to be the guy that's going to inject any type of life into this offense to make them at least be competitive in these games? Now granted, the game was 20-17 before Justin Fields threw a terrible pick six there deep in his own territory. But that's the thing. You have to wonder whether or not the Bears are going to click at any point because their defense is a far cry of what it once was and their offense is going to sputter more than it's going to be spectacular, to say the least. But for the Bears, they're looking at a long year. And Tampa, they're, why not us? Why can't we be a good division opponent against the Saints, Panthers, and even the Falcons for that matter. So I'm sure that's going to be a free-for-all as we get deeper into the season and who's going to come out on top to be the champion of the NFC South. And then to round out week two, tonight you have New Orleans in Carolina where the game is at Carolina. So let's see how Bryce Young is going to do in his second start and how the Saints will do on the road as they try to get themselves to 2-0, as I mentioned. And then you have Cleveland at Pittsburgh, which is a big game here for the Steelers. They do not want to go 0-2. And as I mentioned the other day, no Deontay Johnson, no Cam Hayward. So big pieces there to their offense and defense who are not going to suit up, at least for the next several weeks. I believe Cam Hayward, who had surgery on a groin, he's going to be out for two months. So you're not going to see him until at least week number 10. So for the Steelers... They do have to win this game to at least get a division win in their back pocket as well as to even their record and to get the Browns to be 1-1 one one as well because if they go up 2-0 to match the Ravens, that's going to be interesting to see how that will play out there early on the season for the AFC North. As I mentioned, the Ravens will play the Browns in two weeks in Cleveland. So let's see what the Steelers could do tonight as well as the Panthers who try to get themselves on the win column where the Saints and Browns are looking to go undefeated here in this early part of the NFL season. 
Now, as I turn my attention to the college circuit, as we go through not really an interesting schedule, to me, there wasn't anything that I thought to write home about other than one game, which I'll get to in a second. I know Kansas State had a big loss there, and it dropped them down in the polls big time. K-State loses on the road at Missouri, but the buildup to what took place in Boulder there on Saturday with college game day there on set earlier that day and with Jay Norville the coach of the Colorado State Rams pretty much puffing out his chest and putting it on record to say Dion with his glasses and the hat and pretty much putting that to task to say that if that was me or if I walked into my mama's house that there's no way as a gentleman or as a man and I'm paraphrasing here that he would do that indoors and trying to look all cool and just Dion with the way he is going back to his days at Florida State Well, of course, Prime took it personal to the point where he hammered that point home Friday night into Saturday where you had The Rock and Lil Wayne coming on set there for college game day. And everybody was just pumped up, ready to go. I believe the Buffaloes had a 25-point favorite over the Rams there in that game because, of course, it was in their building. And you knew that Colorado State was going to show up. And I'm sure that maybe it was a little bit presumptuous for the coach there, Jay Norvell, to just come out at Dion in that way, shape, or form. But give it up. They played very well. And even in a loss, for them to push it not only to one overtime, but to two overtimes. And actually have a lead there late in the fourth quarter that they weren't able to hang on. And give it up for Colorado because they showed a lot of toughness, a lot of metal in their building. I'm sure it was a little bit tense. I didn't stay up to watch at that point. It just got way too late for me. But the Buffaloes in two overtimes, 43-35, you had the convergence of players there before the game. It looked like it was going to really be just an intense and who knows what it was going to end up being as far as maybe just some, I don't want to go as far as saying dirty play, but you would think it'd be chippy and physical and who knows what it would have been like at the end of the game where you had both coaches Approaching one another, it looked like it was going to be that type of game, but I'm sure Dion and company, lucky to get out alive with two big games forthcoming, they have to go to Oregon before playing USC here over the course of the next two weeks, and that's really going to be the true test. And they also lose Travis Hunter, the two-way player who got just hit and leveled there in the game, and who knows what his status is going to be, he could be out for weeks. But that's also going to be a big hit there. And you have to wonder whether or not Colorado, we've seen them here in these first three weeks with all the publicity and all of the just hype that's surrounding this team. And being able to be 3-0 and to be highly ranked, and I'm sure they're going to move up the rankings here this week. Now you wonder what it's going to be like without a top player and having to go on the road against an Oregon team that is been there and knows the way around playing in big games, whether or not this could be maybe a little bit too big for them, this is going to be interesting on whether the coach and how these players are going to respond. Now, they responded in a great way here. They were down in the fourth quarter and showed you some metal and showed you some toughness, and they were able to even get a touchdown there in the overtime to where Colorado State answered. But they didn't buckle, they didn't blink, and they were able to hang on there to win 43-35. So now we're going to have to wait and see how Dion and the Buffaloes are going to just either respond or have them 
just play even a notch above the way they played here in these first three weeks. And we'll talk more about that on Thursday's podcast as you have a bunch of very good games here in a week four in college football. And then another thing is when you look at the rankings and you see Alabama is not fourth, fifth, sixth, wait, eighth, tenth? What? Out of the top ten? Alabama is currently 13th in the nation. Who would have ever thought, and I believe it's the first time in God knows how many years that Alabama not only is out of the top four, out of the top five, but even top ten. You got to go way back to find out when the last time that the Crimson Tide were nowhere near above the top four or even in the top ten. Which is kind of hard to fathom when you think about it, when you think of a Nick Saban-led team. But even with the quarterback change and Tyler Buchner, not impressive as they did win at South Florida 17-3, but you would think that was a game for them to win 35-3 after the loss in against Texas in their building the previous week. So Nick Saban's going to have to go back to the drawing board, whether he goes back to Milrow, whether he brings back somebody from Alabama's past. I don't know, is Richard Todd available? Of course, Joe Namath is a little bit older than Richard Todd. Of course, I kid around, but you do have to think whether or not Alabama, this is where you're going to find out. We know Nick Saban's a great coach, but this is where you're going to really find out if he's going to be able to pull not only one rabbit, but a few rabbits out of his hat and maybe a couple of cards up his sleeve to see whether or not he's going to keep his team in the mix here. Now, granted, he is 13th, and I'm sure as he's having his Cheerios this morning, he's ready to spit them out, and he's just grinding his teeth on knowing that his team has an uphill battle to get themselves back to within the college football playoff mix. So still a lot of football to be played, but Alabama, a lot of work ahead, and who knows if it's going to be too much for them to even ask an Alabama team for them to claw, scratch, and fight their way back into the top 10 and higher than that. And that's your college football here for this past weekend. Not much really to get into, but we'll be sure to get into the schedule come Thursday as you have quite a few big games there on the docket. Now as I turn my attention to baseball, and we are down to the final 12 or 13 games, depending on which team you are, of this baseball season. We are now into the home stretch. And the big series over this weekend was the Tampa Bay Rays going to Baltimore. Four-game series at Camden Yards. And it looked like after Friday night, it was going to be a Ray weekend to where all they had to do was win one of the next two to win three out of four and to at least leave Baltimore with a tie. Now, granted, there would have been percentage points behind the Orioles for the top spot. But as it was, they were unable to get that third win after... The first two wins in Baltimore. And I thought that if the Rays would have come out three out of four, they would have been shining. But as it was yesterday, they were unable to get that final game. They got blown out there on Saturday night behind Grayson Rodriguez and his great performance. Eight innings, seven strikeouts, no runs. But then yesterday, losing an extras 5-4 the way they did certainly does not leave a good taste in their mouth. Now, we know Tampa's going to make it to the postseason. And not to say that the division is lost altogether, But we would think that Baltimore is going to hang on here to win this division. At least I would think so. Because the Orioles, although their schedule is tricky, the Orioles now have to go to Houston for starters. And Houston, we have to say, they are not good at home. And we understand we don't know what Astro team we're going to get. That is going to be a 
big giant question mark. But just for the next few days before I get into their whole schedule, they have to go to Houston for starters, three games before going to Cleveland. And before you say, ah, that's not too bad, Cleveland, well, they just finished polishing off the Texas Rangers at home in a three-game sweep after the Rangers swept the Blue Jays in Toronto. So go figure that one out. So seven games here on the road this upcoming week. Like I said, not going to be easy. I get it. Houston's been bad at home. And the Guardians, who knows what they're going to have left even after the sweep against the Rangers. But certainly not a shoe-in for them to go ahead and all of a sudden stretch their division lead further so they could go ahead and get their first AL division, I believe, since what, 2014. And as it was, they clinched the playoff spot there yesterday with them winning and also the Rangers losing, so they have qualified for the postseason regardless. But then they have the Nationals for two next week, and then the Red Sox for four to wrap up their season. As far as Tampa, their schedule is a lot simpler when it comes to who they play here. And also, you got to keep Toronto in mind as far as the wild card. Now, I'll get to them in a minute because Toronto, think about it, they only have two opponents the rest of the way, which is kind of strange when you think about it. But to go back to the Rays, they had the Angels coming in for three down in Tampa before the Blue Jays invade Tampa to conclude their home schedule here in the regular season. And then they're going to finish off in Boston with the Red Sox before going to Toronto to end their year. So Toronto is going to play a big part here in the race, whether or not they're going to overtake the Orioles and get an AL East championship. But I would think that the Orioles, with those two wins, will have done just enough. Now, understand anything could happen here between now and the end of the season, but the Orioles, who have had first place pretty much since right after the All-Star break, I would think that they would hold serve and win a division. We know about the AL Central, it's the Twins, as they'll probably clinch at some point this week. And then the AL West, as we've talked about over the last month it seems, that is going to be a fight to the very finish between Houston, Seattle, and the Texas Rangers. And a weird weekend for Seattle and the Rangers. We talked about Texas getting swept by the Guardians. Now, the Mariners at home got swept by the Dodgers, and I get it that there are the Dodgers, and they were going to be tough to go into their building, but for them to get swept, and then for the Astros to lose two out of three in Kansas City, they did salvage the game there yesterday, but with that win, they were able to keep themselves ahead in the division by one in the loss over the Rangers, two in the loss over the Mariners, a game and a half and two and a half games between the three teams there in the AL West. And the schedule down the stretch for those teams is as simple as this. Now, we know that the Rangers and Mariners starting this weekend are going to play seven of their final 10 games against one another, which is going to be huge, not just for the division, but also for the wild card. Because like I mentioned, Toronto currently has the third seed in the AL wild card. And as a matter of fact, let me just double check that. So when we look at the AL wild card, we know that the Rays are there at first place. In fact, the Blue Jays have overtaken them by a half game, tied in the loss, but the Rangers do have a game in hand. And the Mariners are a game behind the Rangers on the outside looking in. And for the Rangers and Mariners, Rangers to start off their week, they have the Red Sox coming into their building. And the Red Sox, they have been floundering here as of late. Now, who knows? Maybe they'll play spoiler and turn things around. That remains to be seen. And as far as the Mariners go in the early part of their week, They will have the A's, or they're going to Oakland before having to go to Texas for three and then ending the year playing Houston 
and the four against the Rangers to close out their year. Now, the Houston Astros this week, you would think that the Astros, even with all these games here in their building, they have the Orioles, as we know, to start off the week. I believe they'll finish their home schedule this coming weekend. And as I take a look here, the Astros, yeah, this is a three-game series against the Baltimore Orioles. And then the Royals come in for three starting Friday. So maybe they can exact a little bit of revenge after almost getting swept by the Royals in Kansas City. So going to be interesting to see how this AL West unfolds. And speaking of the AL West, let me just throw this in the mix. Shohei Otani, who has an oblique injury and is going to be shut down for the rest of the year, although has been around the team and has been in the locker room and in the dugout, has cleared out his locker. If that isn't a warning sign that his days in Anaheim are numbered, then I don't know what is. Now, why would he clean out his locker? Granted that they have a road trip upcoming where they go to Tampa, as I mentioned, and I'm sure they close out at home probably starting next Monday or Tuesday. And even though he could say that he's done, that there's no way he's even going to bat, we know that he's been shut down as far as his pitching duties are concerned, but... For Otani to clear out his locker, and then the report had one of the, I don't know if it was a staff member or even a fellow teammate throw out one of his water bottles, which to me, big whoop, who cares. But for him to clean out his locker with two weeks to go in the regular season, not only is that a bad look, but why are you doing that? I understand Otani's probably going to win another MVP, and of course he's a top player here in the sport, but he is not bigger than the sport, and certainly not bigger than the team. And we could see him being, and have seen him be, that humble guy, that superstar that goes about his business, very quiet, etc. But, and to me, for Otani and his team, and referring to his representation, that's something you should not do. Stick it out the rest of the year, even if you're not going to be around. Don't clear out your locker. If you don't show up to the games at the end, or if you're going to be in and out, all right, that's one thing. But I just don't like that. Not only is it a bad sign for the Angels re-signing him, but just a bad look on Otani. A little diva-ish if you ask me. And I don't know what the reasoning is for him to clear out his locker with two weeks to go, or even more than two weeks to go for that matter. So that's just something else I wanted to throw into the hat there. But then with the National League and what's going on there, that wild card scenario has been, oh my goodness. I can't even imagine how topsy-turvy and certainly did not expect what to transpire or what has transpired since we last spoke. The Diamondbacks played the Cubs in Arizona. And mind you, they played the week before at Wrigley where they won three of the four games. And they lost three out of four to the Mets last week. So now they go home to play the Diamondbacks or the Diamondbacks go home to play the Cubs. Excuse me, I got it backwards. And what happens? The Diamondbacks not only sweep the Cubs, but they are now the fifth seed in the National League wildcard race. Who would have thought that the Cubs would be in this mini free fall where it looked like they were going to be the five seed and would have been an intriguing first round between the Cubs and Phillies. Well, now, at least as of right this second, that doesn't look like that's going to be the case because the Diamondbacks have played very well here after that lull in late July into August and it looked like things were going to fall apart for them. But Tori Lovello, give him credit, the manager of the D-backs, as they have righted the ship and now put themselves in a position where they could actually be a road team regardless because they're not going to catch the Phillies but at least they won't have to play the three seed which you may want to play in the Milwaukee Brewers but the Phillies look like they could be their first round competition but still with 12 games to be played 
And with that, Diamondback, Marlin, Cub, Red, and even the Giants clustered together to see if they could get the two seeds there, five and six in the NL wild card. It is going to be a Royal Rumble to the very end. Now the Marlins, give it up to them. The Braves came into town after winning another division. And I guess they figured that Miami is going to be an early vacation for them because they just got pasted over the weekend down in South Florida. To the tune, even yesterday, they lost 16-2. to And maybe that's a little payback because the Braves have just scolded the Marlins here over the last few years. And maybe, again, that was just a gift by the Braves to say, hey, we want to make sure that you're going to be around here in the postseason because... Maybe we'll face you in October and then spank you then just like they did in 2020 during the pandemic year. But the Marlins with a big sweep over the Braves has them currently sixth in the NL wildcard race. Now the Cubs, they're currently tied with the Marlins, although they have a, no, they have a flat-footed tie, 78 and 72. And I guess that's because the Marlins won the season series against the Cubs. So if the season ended today, the Marlins would be in the postseason and the Cubs out. You could thank the Diamondbacks for that, and even the Rockies for that matter, because the Cubs, who have been in this free fall, I said mini free fall, but five in a row they've lost. They lost a back two against the Colorado Rockies, and think about this, the Rockies also did some damage to the Giants as they were able to win three out of four against the Giants here over the weekend, where San Francisco salvaged that final game there yesterday to keep themselves two games back of the Marlins, and even the Cubs for that matter, but we'll say the Marlins for now. And then the Reds, who won two out of three this weekend against the Mets here at City Field. They're currently a half game behind the Marlins and Cubs. And we'll take a look at the schedules this upcoming week for all these teams. As they're going to fight this out, like I said, to the, I would think to the last out. Let alone to the very end. And now to break down the schedules here for the wildcard teams. Starting with the Diamondbacks. They'll have the Giants for two coming in this week. Only a two-game series, Tuesday and Wednesday. So let's see if they could put the Giants out the pasture here. And this is huge for the Giants. If they want to be a part of this mix, they have to sweep these two games. No if ands, buts, maybe's about it. Arizona then comes back east. Remember, they were just in New York 10, 11 days ago. And they're going to play the Yankees this coming weekend. So they're going to have to take a trek out here to the northeast before going to Chicago to play the White Sox and then wrapping up against the Diamondbacks at home to conclude their regular season. As for the Marlins, they have the Mets coming in for three games starting tonight. Then the Brewers come in over the weekend before concluding at the Mets and then at the Pirates. So not a daunting schedule for the Marlins and who knows, maybe they could end up being that sixth team in the wild card. Now, as far as the Cubs go, the Cubs have the Pirates here for three, then the Rockies. So talk about a little payback for them after what happened there last week. And then they go to Atlanta before ending off with the Brewers. So the Cub schedule, although the Pirates, not too bad, Rockies, but the following week, they're going to have to do some damage this week if they have any shot to get themselves into the postseason. As for the Reds, they have the Twins coming in for three. The Twins don't need the games, but you know they're going to be competitive. They have the Pirates, then the Guardians, and then the Cardinals to wrap up their year. Guardians, who knows what they're going to get from Cleveland, as I talked about earlier. Schedule is pretty weak, although the Twins may be A little bit of a challenge here this early part of the week. So we'll have to wait and see on that. And then the Giants, as we talked about, they have the Diamondbacks here. Followed by the Dodgers for four games in LA. Then the Padres and then the Dodgers to end their year. So guess what? 
you could say goodbye to the Giants even if they sweep the Diamondbacks then they have to go to LA for four before the Padres and the Giants and end their year if somehow some way they run the gamut and let's say win I don't know I guess 12 out of those 14 games or whatever how many games they have left there 76 74 yeah so they actually have 12 games left yeah if they go 10 and 2 maybe they get in through the back door but other than that I can't see it with the way the schedule looks I would think the Diamondbacks look like to be in good shape as well as the Marlins now the Diamondbacks do have a tricky schedule they have to play the Yankees who have played better of late and they go to Chicago White Sox all right and then the Astros they may need those three games if it's for the AL West so very tricky there Marlins somewhat of a powder puff schedule because they have the Mets six times over the next nine games then they have the Pirates as well so who knows can the Marlins be that surprise team that's going to make it out of the National League as one of the qualifying six it is possible Reds although a bit of an underbelly of a schedule at the back end but is that going to be enough for them to overtake the Marlins or even the Diamondbacks for that matter have to wait and see on that and the Cubs it looks like it's going to be tough sledding they have to get through this week if they can knowing that they do have the Pirates as well as we'll have the Brewers at the end followed by the Braves but with the Pirates and the Rockies having to come to their building they could still be at least a week from today part of this wild card mix provided that they don't fall apart and that's pretty much a baseball here as we get to the literal home stretch of this baseball season and one last thing Heim Bloom fired after four years and bought not even four years he didn't even make it at the end of this year let go by John Henry and Tom Werner the guys that are the ownership group of the Fenway faithful is he the fall guy to this I guess it is because for Bloom who put together a team that had overachieved to a certain extent this year when you bring in guys like Justin Turner who had a big time year Kenley Jansen also played you know pitched well coming out of the bullpen and I get it when you look at Xander Bogarts maybe he wasn't able to keep him but that's more of ownership not wanting to dish out 285 million dollars as it was they dished out 311 for Rafael Devers but is it all on Bloom? I can't say it is but the Red Sox will start over and in all likelihood be in last place although may end up over 500 right now they what have I believe they're two games on the 500 as we speak 74 and 76 so who knows let's see what the Red Sox do these final stretch of games before it is all said and done and now let me conclude with this one as I lace up my skates and go through the National Hockey League for this one just outlandish story when you think about it now training camps have opened as of last Tuesday so you're going to start to see some exhibition games here in the coming days before the season will commence on October the 7th but the Columbus Blue Jackets who have been making some wholesale changes and bringing in Mike Babcock the former Detroit Red Wing coach a guy who has been around and knows the sport pretty well he got the job during the spring or summer and was literally here for five minutes before rumors came about late last week to where there was some invasion of privacy with the players in which he vehemently denied looking through their phones for photos and trying to airplay them up in the locker room or maybe in one of the meeting rooms to where putting his players on the carpet and why he would want to look through their phones for photos is beyond me but 
a podcast that had come out here in the last couple of days, Spitting Chicklets, which I'm sure you know, it's on the bar stool. The former tough guy, Paul Bissonette, who you see on the NHL TNT pre and post game coverage, he had even come out with a quote saying that he was putting guys on the spot in the coaches' room, asking them to link their phones up to the wireless display through AirPlay and even grilling them for that matter. Now, what these photos were, who knows? And not only that, but he even came out and I quote, I've had tons of players confirm it. And Bissonette is a guy who knows his way around the league, obviously being one of the anchors there on that TNT coverage, as you've seen there over the last couple of years. And for Babcock to then yesterday have to resign, saying that it's best because of what is come about here over the last couple of days and that he decided to part ways with the organization. I guess that's more of an indictment. And even though, like I mentioned, he denied it and said that there was no wrongdoing on his part, but maybe the firestorm that has come about over the last couple of days and Bissonette having those sources where players have confirmed it was maybe too much for him to even ask if Babcock were to stay around or were to be staunch in his stance to try to shoo away these rumors, but there must be some backbone to it. And for Babcock, who was looking to get another shot after not coaching for quite some time, who knows if he's going to ever coach again based on this. Now, is this severely damning? Is this severely to an extent where he may not get a job again? Well, if you're invading the player's privacy when it comes to having them force their photos on an airplay and even grilling them for it, then who knows? Maybe that was career suicide on his part, unbeknownst to him at the time, but he should have known better. Like, What is he doing asking his players to put up screenshots or whatever it was that he was trying to do there early on in training camp to where they haven't even had an exhibition game and here he is just trying to impose his will on his players to say, "Uh uh-uh, whatever it is you got on your phones, I want to see this and who knows if there's going to be some penalty if you don't. So Babcock out. I don't even know who the interim is at this very moment, but just a terrible job and not a good start for the Blue Jackets. As I mentioned, they're trying to regroup and get themselves at least respectable, not only throughout the league, but at least in the Eastern Conference as they have uh, certainly fallen on hard times and a lot of players that were traded over the last year or so and certainly not a good start to their training camp there in Ohio. Other than that, that's what I got, people. Another episode just about the books. Thank you so much for stopping by, passing by, carving out those precious moments out of your day to listen to what it is that I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review, throw me a few stars, write a review. That would be just imperative to get the word out about yours truly, about the podcast to those who are familiar with it. If you want to hit me up on any of my socials, please do so at the following. My YouTube page, at JReels. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the JReels Podcast. X, Twitter, JReels1, just the number, or the old-fashioned way, the JReels Podcast at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, suggestions, you could do so at the following, because whether you do or do not know. This is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA. As I like to say, sports, talking about it since day one. And I'm not going anywhere as long as I'm on God's green earth because I'm always going to deliver passion, fire, fury, energy into this microphone through your earbuds, headphones, or speakers with my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise, feelings on anything and everything 
That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>